Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Historically, like, you know, I wrote music to please other people because I needed to prove something to the world. And when I got over that by, by having a better relationship with myself and learning how to love myself, I really let go of it. I really let go of like, I want to make music that makes other people like me um, to, I want to make music that is honest. Mm. And in that so honest, it's such an important shift, not just in the creative process, but just in life. In life. <laughs> that it, shift. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Exactly. And um, in that shift comes the space of like, sometimes when you're honest, you're saying something that other people won't agree with. And it's like, are you willing to stand up? Are you willing to stand by? All right, look up listeners. Welcome back to another episode of the Look Up Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Weinstein. And as always, thank you for listening along. Thank you for sharing the show. Thank you for following the newsletter and supporting the Patreon. Uh, this is just so much fun. And I want to continue to bring you all episodes every week, uh, my thoughts every week uh, via the newsletter and just to continue to communicate with you all on social media. So feel free to reach out if ever you have any requests or guest recommendations. Uh, just, it's a great time to be alive. This is March 16th, 2021. And I just finished a conversation with an incredible human named Axel Manser. Axel is a recording artist. Uh, his latest tracks, I wrote this when I was mad, and Kids Can Be So Stupid are available to download on Spotify. But one of the reasons why I brought Axel on this show is that he is the creator of one of the most interesting and popular clubs on this new-ish app called Clubhouse. Um, I popped into his room, the Lullaby Club, back in early September, I believe, because his co-creator, Aviva, is a friend of mine from Los Angeles. Shout out to Aviva. And I was just like smitten from day one. Um, Lullaby Club is self-described as life is hard, but Lullaby Club is soft. Um, for those of you that have been on Clubhouse, the app before, I've written about it. Um, it's like a metaverse for audio-only um, chat rooms based on different subjects. And oftentimes conversations are very uh, left brain, very focused on growth hacking or technology or startups or business. And uh, like life, it can be a little bit overwhelming. Uh, but then you pop into the lullaby club and everybody's whispering like this. And there's beautiful music that's playing. And it's just a really, really vibey space. And Axel talks about uh, the five values that he and Aviva kind of drafted to create that space. Well, the room has since September, when I think I entered, there were like eight people in there playing music, has just blown up into a nightly experience where artists and musicians can share their music. They have open mic nights. There's at any given time, there can be over a thousand people in the room listening live 
to the music that is playing. Uh, and I think that the success of the Lullaby Club and Axel's newfound fame um, has just been an interesting experience for him. And so he shares a bit about the surprise of, of this success and how he's now the face of Clubhouse. He is literally the face of the app icon. When you click it um, to enter the space, they call him the Sultan of Sleep or Clubhouse's first breakout music star. We talk about his music. We talk about Lullaby Club, his upbringing as a third culture kid, which he defines, um, and emotions, self-care, so much more. So without any further from me, I really hope that you enjoy listening to this episode as much as I enjoyed having this conversation. Uh, this is my chat with Axel Mansour. Okay, so we're live. Axel Mansur, thank you so much for coming on the Look Up podcast, aka sure. the Sultan of Sleep. Um, <laughs> so, um, so for those of my listeners that are not familiar, um, you know, Axel, I'm 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 going to have done an introduction before the show after after the fact, but. You know, you you have been called uh, by Polestar recently the the breakout star of um, of Clubhouse, and Clubhouse being this this new ish um, audio first social media platform, uh, and you are now the face of the Clubhouse app. You are your face is literally the icon that anyone who wants to get into Clubhouse um, clicks through. So. How has that experience been for you? It's been an absolute roller coaster. Am I allowed to swear? Yes, please. <laughs> it's been a Real fucking bad. roller coaster. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. No, it's just been crazy, man. Um, I really, I you know, I thought that I was going to be ready for it, and in some ways I was, but I don't think anything could have prepared me for just the, the absolute fucking wave of like just attention, people wanting my time, all with mostly good intentions. Like it's, it's been a very positive experience, like in terms of how the external world has dealt with me. Mm. Um, I think the real sort of challenge has been in just adjusting my internal world, you know, so that I don't lose myself. And when I say it's a wave, I, I like that analogy because like a big, big wave can just crash on you and just take you out, you know, um, and it can, it, it can destabilize you. Um, and I definitely went through some periods of like being destabilized and like not feeling grounded um, just because of just the demand on time and energy and attention um, and pressure that comes from everybody wanting a piece of you all of a sudden. Mm -hmm. um, and also the internal pressure that I would put on myself to be like, I want to make the most of this experience. You know, I don't want to look back on this and be like, man, I, I wasted this. Um, <laughs> so it's, it's been like, it's been a roller coaster. It's been like a roller coaster physically, emotionally, maybe not so much spiritually, but definitely like mentally. And, uh, 
I've also learned a lot. I'm, like I feel like so much wiser coming out of this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I've just I've learned a lot through it's been a, it's been like an intense six week course basically. Can you um, can you share a story of maybe something that has surprised you since uh, since your kind of newfound um, fame? I guess is is really really the word. Or, yeah. or a lesson, or a lesson that you've learned. I mean, you, you've learned a lot. So, would love, you know, would love that if you could pass yeah, on that, yeah. that wisdom down to the listeners. Yeah, I mean, one of the big things has been like, at a certain point, like I'm, I'm definitely one of those people that I'm like, I can do everything myself. Like, mm-hmm. and it's better if I just do everything myself. And I class, I historically have a hard time delegating things, and I have an even harder time asking for help. Yes. I'm a very independent person and uh, my independence, you know, comes from being a third culture kid and, and having to redo my life over and over, moving to new places constantly um, from a young age and just like growing up with this sense of like, okay, like I'm going to be on my own in life and I can't rely on people um, because people come and go. And I'm the only, you know, everything kind of at the very end of it all reliant on me Mm -hmm. Uh, and so which has made me very strong in terms of like being able to deal with stuff and like take stuff as it comes and be really flexible and adaptable it also means that I have a hard time asking for help um, Mm -hmm. and a hard time acknowledging when I need help and this experience like really taught me like you can get into situations where you literally do not have enough time to deal with everything coming your way like, and I used to be of the mindset, it's like, no, I just need like a better system. I just need to work hard. I just need to put more hours in. And then like, there's a smart way to work. Whereas, you know, I can do it all myself. And with this amount of attention, you know, from an international community, um, there's literally no way I'm going to get through everything coming at me in a day. Um, and I needed to learn very quickly how to lean on the people in my life for help. And a very concrete example of that was within like within four days or something, I realized I need to set up an email autoresponder that just says, if this is about my music, please contact my manager. And if this is about Lullaby Club, which is my club on Clubhouse, and like honestly the reason I became icon, I think, mm-hmm. uh, please contact my business partner, Aviva. And like Having yeah and 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 then filter and what's up aviva uh shout out shout out to my business doula um yes (laughs) business doula perfect perfect title for her yeah it totally (laughs) is and uh like and really leaning on them to be filtration systems um for all of this information and like leaning on them to be like, all right, I'm going to figure this out so that you only need to deal with like the most important thing, which is often in my case, just showing up and showing up and being me and doing my, you know, just doing my thing, uh, which is usually like talking and performing. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, that, you know, which is like a really, it's a great job to have. um, But that's, 
that's been a big learning lesson is like you can't do everything yourself. And another way in which I, I really learned that is like you can't get back to everybody in a single day. And since I became icon, you know, it's been six weeks. Um, and sorry for the beeping in the background. Uh, it's all good. Uh, I, I have I have it as well. I think it's at times. So. <laughs> no, <I'm kidding>. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, the world does not stop. <laughs> but uh, you know, since I became icon, I've basically received over DMs and Twitter and email uh, about I'd say two hundred and fifty to three hundred new messages mm-hmm. per day. Um, yeah, and for me. You know, I've been doing some stuff as an artist, but, you know, definitely still a growing artist, like an independent artist. I was getting maybe 10, 15, you know, new requests per day. Uh, And that's just like, you know, it's an exponential jump. Um, And having to wrestle with the guilt of not being able to get back to everybody. especially in a timely fashion, but there are some people who like, I just will not be able to get back to. And I've had to really like work through that guilt and not mm-hmm. allow it to weigh me down. Um, Cause I really care about every single person that messages. Where, where do you think the guilt comes from? Is it, is it um, potentially about like knowing the criteria that are being filtered for you know, and, and maybe that's not important to you, but you understand that that's the way perhaps the game is played. Like the the people that you're going to answer to, like, what are the, what are the criteria that, you know, is like this person gets an answer and this person doesn't get an answer. Yeah, that's really interesting. And that is true. I mean, like, as, especially in this time of like, okay, there's this crazy amount of momentum. It's very easy to get to a place where I'm just like, I'm only going to respond to people who are verified and people that have over a certain amount of followers. And like, I think that's where a lot of people just go naturally. I like to challenge that notion. And I really like to think about like, who's that person that has like five followers or a hundred followers. And if I respond to them, like that's going to make their day. Like it's going to, it's going to mean a lot more to them than it will to somebody who has a hundred thousand followers. And I just know that from being somebody who's been on the other side of it, you know, you send a message to somebody who you really admire and you're really inspired by and you never fucking hear back. And it's just like, of course, <laughs> we've all but been then there. The one person we've all been there, but like, but we've also, some of us have had the experience of that person responding and you're just <laughs> like, Oh my God, like that's so great. And I want to give that feeling to people, you know, like I, I love the idea that, that I could be making somebody feel that, um, especially because I don't really see myself in that way. Like I don't see myself as like this fucking celebrity, which people (laughs) call me, you know, they're like, you're famous, you're internet famous. And I'm like, I I like to make a joke about it because like, I'm like, I have temporary internet clout. You know, that's like I rephrase it in that way because like, you know, for me, it's like important to not buy into the ego of it, to understand that it's that fame is an unnatural thing. Like it doesn't it's a it's a weird societal phenomenon, but it's not really important to living like 
fame doesn't make life easy. And I have friends who are way more famous than I am. Mm -hmm. And when I talk to them really about like, what is fame like? There's perks, but those perks I think often are overshadowed by like, you can't have a normal balanced life. And to me, like fame is, and fame ends up that there's a great Anderson Pack line um, where he says, fuck fame, it killed all my favorite entertainers. And it's yeah. just like, that's real, man. I think more, more often than not, fame creates problems than solves them. And so we put famous people up on this pedestal and most of them don't even want to be on that pedestal. The only reason they're okay with it is because the way the industry works is like you have to contend with fame in order to have a career or to have like these crazy opportunities. Um, but, you know, I think hopefully with technology, not, I don't know enough about NFTs to really say this, but like hopefully with decentralized technology and creating new business models and be able to create a middle class of creatives, you know, like I don't give a shit about being insanely wealthy. All I care about is just being able to support myself and not have to worry about like paying rent and buying groceries and knowing that I can like feed myself and take care of myself and eventually a family. But the thing is the reality for most creatives is like, there's not really a middle-class option. Like you're either there's not that many creatives that are like that have like a steady, you know, six figure job that can support them and their family. Like most of the time you're either nobody and making pennies and have a, have a side job that supports you or you're fucking famous in some way. And you have a crazy amount of money and there's all these problems that come with that. And I think like, a way forward for, for industry and for creatives is like to have, to have a middle class, like to have like to, to, to live in a world where creative work is monetarily valued enough that you can just make creative work and be paid fairly for it. And we don't live in that world. Like we live in a world that is like dominated by ad dollars and dominated by companies that do not, that, that prey off of, you know, giving their the creators that create their platforms pennies on the dollar while the platforms themselves mm. take a huge amount of money. Well, this is really interesting. I want to I wanna pause there because, you know, the Look Up podcast started as this, um, this show to discuss kind of the impact that social media is having on our culture, our politics, and our mental health. Um, and you know, really like I'm trying to hone in on what it means to be human living in a 24 seven connected world with all that comes with it. Um, and you know, you're, 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 you're kind of, um, I guess the tagline for the club that you created on clubhouse is life is hard, but lullaby club is soft. (laughs) (laughs) And it's kind of ironic, isn't it? That. You know, I have this image of you and Viva and some of the other creators kind of gently rowing your boat down the stream, um, you know, with your ASMR kind of whispers. As right. you, 
as you do in the Lullaby Club for listeners, there's a lot of whispering that happens. <laughs> and all of a sudden, this like massive wave of which some would call success, you know, this like this peaceful stream turns into like a level seven rapid river that now you're kind of racing down and like trying to navigate the rocks and you've had quote unquote success, but like this oasis that you created intentionally within the noise of this platform clubhouse, which by the way, speaking of creator and platform is now worth a billion dollars. Um, you know, and is driven by user generated content like the Lullaby Club. Now it's like, it's like you almost can't help but for the water to start flowing up and into that little lovely oasis life raft that you all created for yourselves. Um, so yeah. how do you navigate that wave that you mentioned? And at the end of the ride, what would success have looked like? to you and to your partners in this, in this endeavor? I think that honestly, um, so it, it's a really interesting, I, I love the analogy and I, I want to try to think more about the analogy, but I'll start off by saying that my answer to like, how do you navigate while you're on this wave um, without, you know, the boat flipping over and you just getting lost in it? Uh, my answer to that has been going back to values. And one of the things that Aviva and I did um, in the midst of all of this happening, which I think is really telling, um, was like really getting clear on what Lullaby Club's values are. And we made this list of five values, incredibly easily defined, short definitions and they're my favorite fucking values I've ever been a part of. Any company I've ever been at, I mm. these these values are better. <laughs> like I will, oh, yeah. I will put my my foot down on it. So the the values. What are, are the values? Yeah, no. Now, and now I have to share it, right? Of course. Um, so the values are very simple. Um, so the first value is playfulness, and the definition of that is if it's not fun, it's not worth doing. The second value is imperfection. The definition is, let's just try it. The third value is trust. And the definition being, we're here for you. The fourth value is compassion. And the definition is, it's like empathy, but better. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> and, the, and the fifth value is vibe and the definition is you know it when you feel it and those values to me are such an incredible compass for us as a company but really us as human beings um, like that is and and aviva and i have already used these values to make decisions about what kind of things do we want to bring to our community? How do we want to communicate? Like transparency and authenticity are very important to us. Um, but there's also a very clear reason where we didn't make those the values because we feel like transparency and authenticity come from us embracing these other values. They are a byproduct of us embracing these values. Diversity is a byproduct of us embracing these values. Like, and we didn't feel the need to like, 
I don't know. There's, like, there's so like pay lip service to yeah, it's lip service. for the sake of. Yeah, it's lip service. And it's like, what yeah. does it really mean at that point? It's like you're doing it because you want to seem popular. It's like that's the wrong reason to be diverse. Yeah. Like then it's just tokenizing. So like, which again is not very thoughtful. Um, and so, you know, we've developed these values and as we're growing and as we're building, we're like, and we use the values to create our mission statement. And our mission statement is that Lullaby Club's mission is to soothe the world through the power of music and vibe. And there's a reason that vibe shows up in our values and our mission statement. Because at the end of the day, that feeling that you get from being involved with Lullaby Club or experiencing Lullaby Club or being a part of it or working on things related to Lullaby Club, like it's about the emotion. And if you're not getting that experience, then we failed you and we failed ourselves. And that's the most important thing. Not, you know, we've had people being like, I want to invest in Lullaby Club. We had a VC approach us. Um, and we're like, I mean, we just haven't even explored that because we don't want to take outside money. We don't need it. And we don't want to make it about an investment because all of a sudden that really changes the equation, changes our ability to be like, no, the focus of the business and the way that we believe we're going to make money is by adhering to these values. All of a sudden, you, like money, if money becomes the main aspect, if, if the bottom line in terms of dollars is the main motivator, it's very hard to adhere to these values. So like sticking to these values and making decisions from there has been our way of staying grounded through this, you know, staying on the, on the raft basically through this crazy way. Um, and to answer so, the other piece of your question, um, I think at the end of the, uh, like the, the, at the end of the journey, at the end of the wave, I guess my hope is that we're still on the raft. <laughs> like, <laughs> well, the vibe piece is so special. Um, you know, I was, I was kind of wandering around clubhouse as one did in, I guess like July or maybe it was September at this point. Um, when I first stumbled around the first stumbled on the lullaby club and it was like you, Aviva, and I'm pretty sure I found it because, because Aviva and I are friends and like, you know, I just remember just like an exhale. It was just like, a because what I find interesting and challenging about clubhouse is like, I don't want to go to another social media platform to turn up and turn on. So I'm right. always on, right? right. Like, and right. so all of a sudden, you know, you get into this room and people are whispering and there's like this playful laughter. And it's like, Oh wow. I want to, I want to like, just like post up in here, like maybe even at a festival when it's just like, wah, 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 wah. And then <laughs> like some, some art exhibition or like piece and you're like sitting down there and it's just like, it's warm and it smells like lavender and people are like cuddling. It's just, you know, it's so nice. You're like, I don't want to leave this place, you know, it's out there. Noted on the lavender. Yeah. When we do in-person events, noted. Dude, clubhouse, uh, lullaby club smells like lavender to me if, if, if it had a smell. Um, and that's a vibe. 
So like can, you guys have really created this vibe and it's, and it's truly, I think, I think, you know, if I had to kind of point to the success, it's like, it's, it is this oasis. Um, and, and part of it is that trust piece that you mentioned. So I love, I love at least two of the um, values that you created are from the yoga tradition, right? You have satya, you know, and mm. trust, truthfulness, and you have ahimsa and compassion, um, mm. and empathy, but better. <laughs> it's empathy with a little bit of caring because you could be empathic and not give a shit, right? Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I um. Empathy is very twenty eighteen. Yeah, compassion is very 2021. Very 2021. I was going to ask because you brought this up earlier. Like, how has it felt um, to lean into trust? Because you're clearly, I, I tend to like qualify my questions a bit too much, but I'm going to do it anyways. Um, you're you're clearly someone that like is a caretaker. You know, like through your through your work, you know, at on on the Lullaby Club through your music which the me- the messages of which are quite powerful and are clearly almost like meant to be there for someone going through some shit, at least like the, you know, the last two songs that you've created, which I'd love to talk to you more about, you know, you are the caretaker. So oftentimes caretakers have a hard time leaning into that trust and allowing someone else to say, I got you. So the hidden question in that, which is now not hidden is how has it felt to lean into trust it's been amazing you know i think it's been growth of a different kind um because i think a lot of personal growth i've seen is within myself and only involving myself and this is personal growth that involves other people which is basically saying like i trust myself enough to trust you and and to and to like to to leave this thing to you and I trust, I trust myself enough to like have the instincts to be like, yes, like I, I believe in you. And even if it doesn't work out for whatever reason, that doesn't reflect poorly on me. It doesn't reflect poorly on you. It's probably something else. Um, and so I, yeah, I, I would just say that being able to, you know, and, even going back to um, like just relying on my manager and Aviva, but it like has been, it has been a great learning lesson in terms of uh, how do I, how do I lean on people? How do I take other people and, and accept their help so that I can do more even within lullaby club? I think from a very early space, I've realized that like, the only way for it to grow. Hold on one second. I just need to close the door. My nope. my dad is being kind of loud in another room. No problem. <laughs> Sorry about that. No worries. <laughs> we all have parents, <laughs> or have had. <laughs> Um, yeah, absolutely. But uh, I was saying that even in terms of building Lullaby Club, I've had to trust, I've had to entrust, you know, the other hosts to be able to bring that kind of like that energy and hold that space, not just for the artist, but for the audience, 
and figure out like what is it that I'm bringing that creates this space for Lullaby Club because it started with me doing a lot of things kind of unconsciously that people were attracted to and figuring out how do, how do we extract those things or at least have enough of an understanding of them that we can scale, that we can create structures that, that help uh, enforce, not enforce, but help, uh, what's the word that I'm looking for? Strength. Just like help nurture, yeah, strength, like help nurture like that, that feeling. Um, how important are the space holders in Lullaby Club? Because I often notice there's many um, strong kind of quiet folks on stage that aren't saying much, but often are coming in, stepping in in support. Like how important are those space holders? And then what does holding space mean, mean to you? Well, that's interesting because I think there's people holding space in an active way and people holding space in a, in a sort of uh, inactive way. Um, the people who are doing it actively are definitely like the hosts and also the artists themselves, you know, the people that we bring in, you know, and, and we curate the artists very, very specifically, very carefully. We have a whole application process and like, frankly, like I'm very picky, I'm very selective and like the team that I work with to, to help me with these applications, like I've stressed to them, like we can, we can afford to be choosy, you know, because also we have an open mind. And the open mic is a place where all the people who we feel like are not quite at the level that we want, we still want to give them a place in the community to express themselves. Um, and the open mic still gets as many people as the other nights. So I dare you to find an open mic that has, you know, 700 concurrent listeners. Like that doesn't really exist anywhere else. A place where somebody who's never performed can perform in front of 800 people, 700 people. Wow. Like that's so pretty dope. amazing. Um, and that's the power of technology, right? That's the power of Clubhouse, but we're, we're using it in, in a way to support the community. Um, this all being an aside, but there are these other people. And I would say that like, there is a real role to be played by the people who are mostly quiet, except after a performer plays, they then chime in with some love. And there's so much that happens in that moment, that expression of gratitude, as, as I'm sure you know, like expressing gratitude is one of the most powerful things I believe in life. And it's one of the most connective things in life between two people, whether or not you're strangers. Like when you're truly expressing gratitude to somebody for something and they're able to receive it, it creates the sense of like real connection, even if you've never met and you won't meet again. And as a performer, it feels so good to put something out into the world and then have it reflected back to you as like, I'm grateful that you did that. It gives you energy. You know, it makes you feel like I'm, I feel seen. And so it's this situation where it's this total win-win because the artists are getting something and the people are getting something by saying thank you. Um, and it makes people feel connected. And so even though those people are quiet, 90% of the time, that 10% where they're sharing is actually critical. Because if it was just a stage of artists where no one else was really saying anything, and it, you know, I think it, I, I don't think it would be the same experience. You know, That's I really so don't. beautiful. I'm, I'm reminded of like one of my, my gurus kind of speaks to kind of the purpose of, of being human in the world. And, uh, you know, his mantra is just enjoy. And, 
the idea is that God or Brahman or the creative force couldn't enjoy itself without having created humans whose, you know, sole purpose in life is not just to be the observer, but to be the enjoyer of experience. And what is an artist That's without great. an audience? You know, it's uh, <laughs> what is That's art if not to be observed? Yeah. It's really beautiful. I um, The vibe that you've created in this space is just so, so special. And uh, I think I think the feeling of gratitude, I, I think a lot about gratitude because we're taught from such a young age that, you know, to say our pleases and thank yous. And I think that that's really important, you know, to understand polite, you know, behavior in society. But it also diminishes uh, the concept of gratitude because there you are as a child and like without truly feeling a sensation of wow, like I'm so grateful for this slice of pizza that I got at this pizza party. You're told, <laughs> say thank you. And you're like, okay, thank you. But you don't really know. There becomes a disconnect between the thank you and the feeling of gratitude. Right. And yeah, totally. I think in your in the room that you've created, um, there's a true sense of gratitude. And I really believe that that sense of gratitude stems from the opportunity that you and others that have created this room have pre- provided for people to pause in an otherwise manic metaverse um, that we live in and Clubhouse being a reflection of that metaverse. This is leading right. to the question, I promise. No. <laughs> you, Keep going. <laughs> you've done... Uh, <laughs> you've done uh, um, basically like after lullaby club took off um you know your music has been getting more streams and rightfully so um it's i read in polestar that you did like almost like a live tour of club so i'm seeing this like you know this like sultan of sleep riding on his magic carpet across the <laughs> clubhouse. That's so racist. No, I'm just kidding. Oh, brown tour, right? Whatever. It's all good. <laughs> I know. <laughs> That's racist. <laughs> um, I didn't call you the same. <laughs> but, um, and, and we can talk about that too, actually. It's something I want to get into. But basically, sure. you're doing this tour of the metaverse that is clubhouse. Like, what did you find? What did you discover in these other kingdoms? Or I found <laughs> queendoms. Um, I like that. Um, I, uh, I mean that that the sort of clubhouse tour was, you know, just a, a, an idea that I kind of had because I saw, you know, there's all these clubs on clubhouse, and it's really like they're interest clubs, and it it made sense for me. But they're more than interest clubs. They're like values clubs, you know, um, like underneath that. And so I thought like, well, so much of my music is about values, you know, very specifically about the values of like self-love and like and therapy and mental health and, you know, dealing with your shit. <laughs> and like I was like, those are the kinds of people the people who are interested in that are the kinds of people who will appreciate what I'm doing. Cause I knew that this EP very specifically and these songs that I created 
you know, these aren't the songs that I'm like, oh, this is like a smash single. Like everybody's going to love this. The whole world is going to want to jam this because you can just put it on in the background at anything, you know, like that's not this album. I think this album is like, let's get into the real shit. Like, let's talk. I want you to know who I am. I want you to know like what I've been through and what I'm thinking about. Um, and I want to create it as a beautiful musical experience. But there's a lot of like, there's a lot of depth to that that doesn't necessarily make it as accessible. Um, and knowing that, I was like, let me find the people, like it's sort of this marketing question, right? Which is like, where do the people who you want to listen to your music, where do they live? Where are they at? Where do they frequent? And the thing about Clubhouse is it, it makes that answering that question really easy because mm. they're self, you know, they're, they're, they're creating those communities themselves. Like they're like, this is the Two Broke for Therapy Club. You know, this is like the Helping Homies <laughs> Win Club. Both real clubs. Both real <laughs> clubs that I've gone and spoken at. And of course, like we really, we really had an amazing conversation because those, like the people in those clubs, have an understanding and perspective on life that matches well with mine. You know, it's not exactly the same, but they're compatible. And the idea and the, the did you ever pop, like, did you ever pop into a room and immediately realize, wow, this club doesn't have the same values and. <laughs> You know, and I share the same cultural norms that I aspire yeah, to. Literally every growth hacking group. <laughs> literally every room that's like, how did 10x clubhouse follow? Like, oh, those, those rooms hurt me. <laughs> like, I, I can't, you know, and, and look, everybody's entitled to their own approach. Like, I'm not shitting on those people. I just like, I can't hang there. It's not my vibe. It's not the same values. Like those people value something else. I, I'm not going to assume what their values are, but I know they're not mine. Uh, because like I, I step in there and like, it's like, oh, I can't be in this. Like it's just, it just feels so counter to, to, to who I am and who I want to be. Um, but yeah, with these, with these clubs, it was just like, this makes perfect sense like um and so that's where the idea came from it's just like let me just go on like a club tour and show my song to these people and uh i think it ended up working out like a Such lot a of life. people yeah. yeah thanks man and, and you know i built it as like the first clubhouse tour clubhouse press tour um which uh, a lot of people were like oh that's a cool idea like I i'm in you know i'm down and this was before i became icon and then once I became icon, it was like anybody would be like, "Yeah, <laughs> you know." <laughs> changed it, but I knew it was a good idea because people were saying yes before I quote unquote, you know, mattered. Um, I wonder, did I reach out before you became the icon? I think I did because I was did. pretty pumped about Lullaby Club. That's why no, I, that's why I secured the interview slot. I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Icon. You're, you're, you're not just a bandwagoner. <laughs> yeah, I love that. I, I, uh, I felt something. I smelled something. It might have been the lavender. <laughs> it might, have, it might, have, it might have been the potential lavender. Uh, well, I I want to um you know we we have limited time. I want to actually lean into your music a little bit. So your latest track, I wrote this when I was mad. I saw yeah. I saw your, your post about it, and it sounds like this was a challenging song for you to release. 
um, in part because it speaks to a part of yourself that maybe you feel is not not pretty. You know, hundred percent, man. I mean, like you already pointed out, like I'm very much like a people pleaser. I'm very much a nurturer. I'm very, I see myself as a healer. You know, like, and I, in the way that, like, the the effect that I heal myself through my music, um, and then people, I believe that we're mirrors, right? And so, if I'm healing myself through my music, there's a very good chance that other people are getting healed by it because we're all mirrors. And it was very, very scary for me to put a song out that could upset people, that could make people feel pain that could trigger a bad memory for them you know that's so so outside of my comfort zone when like so much of historically like you know i wrote music to please other people because i needed to prove something to the world and when i got over that by by having a better relationship with myself and learning how to love myself i really let go of that i really let go of like i want to make music that makes other people like me um, to I want to make music that is honest, mm. and in that so honest, such an important shift, not just in the creative process, but just in life. In life, <laughs> that it, shift. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. And um, in that shift comes the space of like sometimes when you're honest, you're saying something that other people won't agree with, and. It's like, are you willing to stand up? Are you willing to stand by for um, or stand by the things that you have to say and not shy away from them because it might upset somebody? What is it you, about this track that that scared you most? Was it something specific that you were saying? Very specific. Yeah. In, in the chorus is me saying, you fucking bitch. Yeah, and, that's what I was thinking because it's right now to use that word in a moment in time when, you know, it's very, it can be perceived as like a sexist term almost, right? Exactly. Exactly. But it's um, how you were feeling. Yeah, it was. It was how I was feeling. Um, but at the same time, like, you know, I sent it, I sent it to a lot of my friends who are women and some of them were like, I'm not triggered by this at all. I think this is fucking sick. Like, great job. You've created something so honest. And other women were like, I literally can't finish listening to this because this word is so triggering to me. And hearing that really gave me pause. And I wrestled with whether or not I should put the song out for like a year. And I tried writing a whole bunch of different choruses. I must have written at least 20 different choruses. Um, I tried getting other writers on the song. I tried even getting another feature on the song. And all of it felt like, oh man, like I'm changing this for other people, which is literally the thing I was trying to get away from. Do you ever feel feel trapped in like the nice guy kind of archetype? Not anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Let's go. Not anymore. Like, yes, I did. I for sure I did. And I not only like, like, yeah, I, I applied that pressure on myself. It's like, well, I'm asking. I'm like, I'm the goofy, happy, smiley guy. Like, I make yeah. people happy. Like, people love me, you know? Like, I can't make anything that might make them not love me. I that smile might make more them... when I get mad. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, exactly. Like, 
I, that, and that's usually my response in life, but you know, I preach self love. Like I talk about self love. I, and when I say I preach it, what I say is like, this is my journey and this has helped me and this has changed my life for the better. And self love is my thing, but it's not very self loving to be like, well, I'm only going to show you this part of myself because the other part you might not love. <laughs> like, it's like, that's not self love. That's just like, that's shaming a part of myself in a different way. And to, to, to really be like, I love myself and to really say, I love anything or I love anybody is to love it in all of its aspects. And is there room for, is there room for these types of emotions in, in the lullaby club? Like, are there spaces in which these emotions like anger, rage are, are, you know, maybe not welcome? You know, it's really interesting. That's a great question. Um, I think that one of the things that we have the ability to do is, free, is is decide the answer to that question. And to that end, we actually have been experimenting with something called, um, originally the name was Explicit Night. I think we called it After Dark. Um, mm. And it's on Saturdays. And uh, I'm going to play the song at the next, you know, After Dark, because we want to be able to accommodate and create space for all kinds of emotions. You know, we go through this, you know, we were talking earlier about like when you're a kid and you're grown up and you do your please and thank yous. And it's like, is that really effective for some things? Maybe. But the other thing that we're taught very often is that there are good emotions and there are bad emotions. Mm -hmm. And the reality is that there is no such thing as a good emotion and there is no such thing as a bad emotion. All emotions are important and we need to be able to create context sensitive like containers for these emotions so that they can have a place to exist because the quickest way to make somebody anxious or depressed or feel lost or unfulfilled is to tell them here's an emotion that you're not allowed to have yeah i was just i just was triggered that triggered an idea of like you know like different clubhouse rooms for different emotions like the rage room where literally you could just hop in and just like ah i'm so bad right now <laughs> i mean people have done that and i love that and, and like it's important i mean there's a real need for spaces like that and you know what i'll fucking go in on that with you like i'll create a rage room, you know like I'm and people down. have done that. You know, there's like the I've seen like there's like a primal scream room, or I haven't seen it in a while, but I saw it. And you know, I, I think it's really important to create a space for this because you. Here's the thing about your emotions: you either get to define how the emotion comes out, or it defines you. Like. And, and it happens unconsciously, unintentionally, and most of the time it comes out in a way that, like, doesn't feel great. However, if you're intentional with it, you can create a space for that emotion to exist, and you can, you can like, it can come out in a way that, like, you express what you need to express, but it's not destructive. It's creative, which I think is really important. It's constructive versus being destructive. Give me an example of a constructive expression of a, a previously perceived negative emotion. Writing a song called I Wrote This When I Was Mad. <laughs> wow, that comes full circle. That's perfect. It's, I mean, I really, I really enjoyed the song. 
Um, and, you know, I, I think that in speaking with you, you know, without projecting too much of myself onto you, I think we are similar in that, in that people pleaser mentality. I didn't call you a people pleaser, by the way. Um, no, you said, you said you I'm said, a nurturer. Yeah. A caretaker, a caretaker. Yeah. Caretaker. Yeah. I, I sense that through the room, you know, I can feel the way you hold space and it's, it's quite beautiful, but at times there's a shadow side to that, which is like, you know, for me at least the way that some of these emotions of like, don't be so sensitive or like bite your lip or, you know, don't like as a child, the expression of those emotions was viewed and perceived to be unhealthy. Now they come out like porcupine spikes, like, you know, and it's like, don't come too close. <laughs> like, bam, And then they go back. Yeah. Uh, because yeah. they don't have like the appropriate release valve where it's like, shh, like allow that anger to kind of like come out in a way that is safe. Um, totally. Speaking totally. of anger. So the other track that I wanted to chat about, and this comes back to the Sultan of sleep and my racist <laughs> comment earlier. Um, so it seems like you've done a lot of traveling. Um, as a child, like what was, why did you travel so much? It's my dad's job. Uh, he worked as an economist at the world bank, um, and, uh, also the IMF. And so he would get transferred to a new country every two, three years. Cause that's how long the assignments are. Um, and I'm the youngest of three before oh, I was born. Too. Oh, nice. There, uh, eldest brother, youngest sister, uh, middle sister. Nice. Um, and uh, youngest child syndrome, right? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, it's a thing, man. The That's true. The peacemaker, because the two yeah. are really fighting all the time, and then you come, and it's like, oh, we both like you sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> Emphasis on the sometimes. Um, so, yeah, birth order is really interesting. I think there's a lot of psychology in birth order that 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 happens. A lot of like similarities, um, but you know, my dad was basically just gone a lot. Like um, he would be gone for like six months at a time, sometimes longer, before I was born. And I think when I was born, my mom was like, "Enough! Like you need to be here. So we're just going to move with you." Um, and so that's how we ended up in Belgium. That's how we ended up in Zimbabwe. It's how we spent, like, we were supposed to be in Indonesia uh, and Madagascar. But I think those those places, like, you know, we got we went there to check them out, but then it didn't end up happening. But we still spent, like, two-ish, three-ish months, I think. I was pretty young for, for, for those, um, so I don't remember too well. But then came back to D.C., and that's where I was born, and then, my my dad ended up getting a job back in my parents are both from Mauritius, which is where I am right now. And uh, my dad got a job back home, you know, working for the government. And so I moved with them and I did my first two years of high school here in Mauritius. And I just wanted to go back to America. So I moved out of my parents' house when I was 15 and I went and started living with my sister um, in California. <laughs> so I didn't get back to DC. <laughs> I found I found the next closest city. <laughs> <I'll follow up. laughs> um, so close, so close. Um, Ideologically, and, maybe. Yeah, <laughs> um, and uh, 
I, you know, I went to I went to Palo Alto High School for for two years, and then I went down to Los Angeles, and I've been in LA actually for ten years, which is easily the longest I've ever been somewhere. Um, actually, in June it will be eleven years, and moving around and constantly letting go of things and things being impermanent, like that's what I was saying earlier. It's like I'm used to loss. I'm used to grief. Um, to the point where like, I think I don't feel those things as strongly because not because I don't feel them, but because I have this like block inside. Like a lot of times when like death has come into my life, it's very similar to like when you move, you know, as a kid and you completely lose everything. Those people, you know, I mean, your way of life dies, your sense of culture and your sense of place dies. Um, and something else comes anew, right? With death is this space for new life. Um, but for me, I think I have a hard time processing grief and like really feeling it um, because of just how often I, I had my own sense of grief and my own sense of loss growing up. And so I don't really connect with it as strongly as I think I, I will. I think something will happen where, where the floodgates will open and I'll really feel it. But like I've had relatives die. I've had like people in my life die. Um, none that I've been super close to, but definitely people that I've known. And I've never, like, I feel like I should have been more sad. Or like I should have spent longer I feeling. I feel like I should have been more sad. Um, yeah, you know, like I feel like it should have hit me harder. Yeah, um, but why? Like, what, what makes you feel? Where does that should come from? You know, like that's that's a projection. That's, that's yeah. Because that's I, what I've I'm, and I've felt that before yeah. as well with grief. Like, why am I not? Or even like a breakup. You know, like oh, I spent seven years with this person like why am i not suffering more <laughs> like right. almost like a desire yeah. to like feel more but yeah 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 we all experience you know we all experience loss in different ways so you know that should is like the interesting part of it it's like yeah, where does that come point. from it's a good point i think it just comes from a place of being like oh well, that's what other people do so right like that's, that's yeah what I um, which is hilarious because that's not. But I mean, it, what's fascinating is like you were conditioned for impermanence, you know, and like life is impermanent, and to um, conditioned for impermanence. That is a great way to describe third culture kids. Yeah, yeah. It's. It, I think that third culture kids is the. This is the first time I've heard that phrase. Can you explain to the listeners what that is? Because I, I actually thought you mentioned it. So you mentioned it on your Instagram. But it was also the, yeah. the first time. What's a third culture kid? So the the sort of uh, I'll give you the like urban dictionary definition, and then I'll give you the uh, the uh, like more the Wikipedia definition, <laughs> which yeah. uh, you might you know some people might take issue with because it's Wikipedia. But <laughs> that being said, um, <laughs> the urban dictionary definition is like if somebody asks you where you're from, and you're like, oh, okay. <laughs> you're a third culture kid <laughs> like, that's, that's simple I get that yeah um, 
And the, the, the sort of more, you know, scientific definition is when you have a life where you, you grew up in a culture that is not the culture of your parents. And so you've had to do this kind of code switching between the culture of your parents and the culture of the place that you grew up in, which are not the same. Uh, and therefore you, in, you sort of inhabit this like third culture that is not the culture of those of either of those. Um, and it's, I refer to it as cultural purgatory <laughs> because it's like, you're not, a lot of people have this experience of like, for example, I'll say like, you know, I'm Mauritian. Uh, a lot of people think I'm Indian. And even though I have Indian roots, I don't really have like a, that much of a connection to India. Um, yeah. And I'm also, I also spent five years of my childhood growing up in Washington, D.C. And so for the Indian kids, for the Mauritian kids, of which there are no Mauritian kids in Washington, D.C., or very, very few, um, like, I was never Mauritian enough. And for the American kids, I was never American enough. Yeah. And, like, that that experience of culture where you, you've got one leg or you got one foot in each domain and you're not really either, but you're also both, um, is very common to third culture kids um, and mixed race kids as well. And I'm, I'm both a third culture kid and mixed race. Mixed race. Uh, um, so purgatory or, you know, connective tissue, right? Could be both. Bridges. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, the experience of for a child and probably why you wrote this kids can be so stupid, like track about, you know, being bullied and, and not really feeling like you fit in anywhere. I mean, I, I, I can't imagine, you know, how that must feel for a kid. Um, it sucks. Yeah. <laughs> well, it sucks. It gives, it gives you issues. <laughs> like, yeah. And yet, and yet, you know, here you are like, in having created a space in a virtual world that is borderless, you know, right. that is international. You're, you're putting people to sleep in California, but I'm here in Puerto Rico listening, you know, sometimes when I can't sleep at like 3 a.m. or like, you know, someone yeah. in someone in Asia might be listening in the morning, you know, you just Dude, don't know. We, we've done Lullaby Club China, uh, or I should say Chinese speaking community because it's, it's banned in China, but we've done it for like, a lot of Taiwan. We've done Lullaby Club for Italy. We've done Lullaby Club for Japan. Um, like we're it's it's going global. So yeah, it's it's pretty amazing. Um, there's a line actually in Kids Can Be So Stupid, which is, uh, "Won't you let me into your club? Won't you let me prove I'm enough?" And there's a there's a sweet <laughs> sweet irony. Irony, yeah. You know? but, and the things I wrote that line uh, in December of 2019. You know, yeah. so I had no idea. You know, I had no context. <laughs> um, but like, it's it's really funny. You know how 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 these things work out. And and I will say that I think a huge piece of my emphasis on inclusivity again, comes not from me being like, I want to be inclusive. <laughs> but it like, it comes uh, from me being like, I know what it's like to feel like an outsider. And, and I know what it's like to feel rejected for, for something that you have no control over. It's a shitty, shitty feeling. And I never want to make somebody feel like that. And there's a better way. 
Well, I, th- I think that what you've created, the space that you've created definitely embodies that inclusivity. And I'm actually quite happy that you don't need to like promote it as such because it just is right. Like, as you said, the values yeah. that you've, that you fostered there and that you've intentionally um, placed as the, as the bedrock of this, of this space invites that. So part of that is because of your lived experience and um, it's beautiful. We're up on the hour. Uh, I know you have a hard stop. I've got like this new sound editor that only does an hour of content. So I'm going to like try to cut it here, but I wanted to, um, first of all, just express like real gratitude because I know that you're, uh, in extremely high demand at this moment in time. And I appreciate you giving me and, and my listeners an hour of your time. Um, I'll definitely join you in the lullaby club soon, but it, before we go, is there anything um, in particular you'd like to share with folks? Yeah, I think just, you know, the, the legacy that I kind of want to leave behind, sorry, not kind of the legacy that I want to leave behind is mm. that learning how to love myself completely altered and positively transformed the course of my life. And if there's one thing that I want for everybody, it's to be able to embark on their own self-love journey and to, and to not feel weird about it, not feel shame about it. Um, and to make self-love fundamental in the way that I really believe it is. And I don't think self-love is a, is a fundamental part of enough of our lives. I think it, we, we relegate it to the self-help industry uh, and people who are interested in personal growth. But it's like, no, self-love helps you in every single piece of your life. And it makes every piece of your life that much sweeter and the lives of those around you. It is the ultimate investment that you can make, not just in yourself, but in all of your relationships. Um, and as somebody that went from being suicidal and having anxious like like having like real anxiety to being somebody that actually loves himself and I'm and has like a positive like I'm my own best friend kind of relationship with myself. I want people to know that it's possible and that there's hope. Beautiful. Where um for those that are listening, I think, you know, we've talked about self love on this show in many different ways before, but like where would you start where can they start? Do you have any resource um, that I can share in the show notes or anything like that for them to move forward Absolutely. on this path of self-love? Absolutely. Number one, um, start doing therapy. And there's an amazing resource called Open Path Collective that provides low-cost therapy for people that can't afford it, which is one of the big problems with American healthcare. Um, mm-hmm. It takes it takes the cost of therapy per session down from like $150 and up per session down to $30 a session. Um, and it's based on an honor system. You don't have to do income verification or anything like that. Uh, you just pay a one-time $50 fee. I've used it. I've had maybe eight or nine of my friends personally that I've sent it to who have started doing therapy because of Open Path. It's fucking amazing. Um, yes. So highly recommend super cool that. i've never heard of it before i'm definitely yeah. gonna add that to the notes and try to get the per, the creator on the show <laughs> yeah yeah that'd be amazing honestly yeah like, i'm thinking like i should do that i should reach out to them and see if they're on clubhouse or, or yeah do something like that. um because i promote them all the time um totally and, you uh, should sounds like things- sounds like a great partner 
for for, for sure. All of our uh, time. And, and another thing I would say is um, meditation and journaling. Mm. Journaling is such a good one. That's one that I often kind of like it drops off. But whenever I'm I'm regularly writing, like through, do my artist pages or whatever, like yeah, there it is, dude. Um, Axel, thank you so much for coming on, brother. I uh, I know we have met before, and um, you know I look forward to meeting you again. I think uh, I think you're an awesome person, and I'm very uh, very happy for your success. And I hope that it. I expect that the boat will stay even keeled, and <laughs> the wave will be ridden. It'll be like one of those beautiful kind of like overhead curls coming over the boat and you'll just kind of like ride out with shoot a out the, kind of at the the or just like shoot <laughs> out the pipe yeah exactly <laughs> enjoy the enjoy the ride thank you man i i am i'm definitely trying to and I, I appreciate you asking me to be on the show and i hope that you're listening All right. Hello, Lookup listeners. One final note before we go. Thank you again for tuning in. Going forward, we'll be releasing new episodes of Lookup every Wednesday morning, Eastern time. If you're getting value from this podcast and you want to give back to support our future, please take a moment to contribute to our community on Patreon. Our Patreon contributors have access to some great additional perks, including one-on-one meditations with yours truly. I've shared the link in the show notes below the episode. You can also find the show notes to this and previous episodes on our website, www.thelookuppodcast.com. If you can't contribute at this time, there are other helpful ways to give back. You can share this episode on social media, tag me, and or leave a review on your favorite podcast app. Trust me, every review goes a long way. If you want more content, including more of my personal thoughts, you can follow me on social media, my handle on both Instagram and Twitter is at Wark Meinstein, W-A-R-C-M-E-I-N-S-T-E-I-N. Or you can subscribe to the Look Up Weekly newsletter on my website. I'm also very responsive to email, so feel free to send questions, booking inquiries, speaking requests, and sponsorship opportunities to marc at thelookuppodcast.com. Finally, for those of you that don't know, I lead virtual yoga, breathwork, and meditation classes, as well as one-on-one coaching and teaching sessions, which you can book from the website or my social media accounts. Thank you to Sam Palumbo and Patch Kid Music for the great intro and outro tunes and for the sound engineering. Thank you, brother. And thank you to all of you listeners for continuing to support the show, for tuning in, and I hope that you've been enjoying this journey as much as I have. <laughs>